1: Welcome back to the show and today my guest is Natalie Page. Natalie is from Hashtag The Court Said and she campaigns tirelessly to support families navigating the family courts having survived a toxic abusive relationship. I am super excited to share this episode with you where Natalie joined me as a guest on my Breakup Recovery Retreat Webinar. Right. I am super, super excited. We have the amazing Natalie Page. Natalie, hello. Welcome. 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 Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so, so much. It's amazing to see you. I know you're very, very busy with all the work you do. I am a huge fan. Now, people listening and watching may know of your work, but if they don't, Natalie, please tell us about you and what you do.
2: Okay, hi. Hi, everybody. Great to um, see you all today. It was nice to um, come in and have a have a listen to the discussions. Um, so, my name is Natalie Page and I run a campaign um, called Hashtag The Court Said. Um, this campaign is to change the way domestic abuse is treated in the family court. So, I realise that everybody on this call may not have been in an abusive relationship, so um, some of the stuff that I write about may not apply to you Um, but those are the that we we concentrate on domestic abuse cases and um, we campaign to change um, the law and also the response to abuse in wider society as well.
1: And We did run a poll about are you divorcing an abusive ex and it was 54% said yes and 46% said no all the information though that you talk about nasty is really relevant i think it's really important for increasing awareness and you know so i mean you and i know the situation in the family courts you know if you are divorcing someone who is abusive maybe we start should we start there nasty what is yeah. abuse how do you define it for the for the clients that you work with
2: um, abuse um, could be in many different forms, um, uh, from emotional to, and psychological abuse to um, physical and sexual violence, child abuse, economic abuse, um, stalking and harassment. There's many ways in which um, people can be abused. Um, so the, the, most often we are um, dealing with um, coercive control um cases which is the pattern really that underpins all abuse. Um, it's that pattern of coercive control and grooming um that underpins the whole dynamic. So those those are the sorts of cases that we're dealing with.
1: Coercive control is something that we hear a lot more of. These days, but quite often people don't really either understand if you've never been in it, or maybe you might be in a relationship that's coercive controlling and not quite realise it. So Nasi, how would you describe what are the what are the signs, the red flags maybe that you are in a a coercively controlling relationship?
2: Well, there's many different red flags, but I guess the most common ones are is that you probably start to notice that um, if you're a victim, you will start to notice maybe your circles getting a lot smaller. Um, It's a lot harder to hang out with friends and family. Um, You know, they want your um, undivided attention all the time. This might be presented as um, love. uh, A lot of people call it love bombing. Um, I I call it grooming. It's a grooming process. It is to cut off your support networks and isolate you for for whatever next abuse is going to unfold. So it's all part of a strategy and they know they're doing it.
1: And people don't realise they're in those relationships, do they?
2: Well, it can happen very gradually. Um, You know, it's quite insidious. Um, One of my fellow campaigners, Rachel Williams, uh, you might follow her page, don't look back. She describes it as like carbon monoxide poisoning. By the time you are aware of the fact that you are in a coercive controlling situation, it is often too late. Um, and you will be, for example, they, they, they will often, um, the, the, the full extent of their behaviour isn't always revealed, for example, until um, you are in some way invested. So you've had a child, you've bought a house, you've got married, um, you've moved in together. You know, all those sorts of um, what would normally be quite happy milestones are really leverage for an abuser and sometimes utilized as a way to isolate and trap another person
1: and it becomes normal as well doesn't it because you like when you're in those relationships you are made to feel very uncomfortable if you don't agree or that you if you stand up for yourself so you kind of they call it don't they normalizing and minimalizing the situation so that you stay where you are
2: Mm -hmm. and you know it's like a gradual erosion of boundaries as well you know um it it can be something like oh well you're a bit crap with money um so how about I handle the bills for a bit and before you know it you haven't got access to your bank card and by the time that's happened you're like how did that happen um so it can really creep up and and then by the time you're in that situation it can be quite difficult to leave it
1: yeah, very difficult. I mean, some Andrea's written it was 30 years of gradual abuse, and he banked on me not having the strength or means to leave. I didn't even know I was being abused or gaslit. There's, I mean, that's that's so common. I mean, you know, because when you're in that relationship, you do become very dependent on that person, especially in that scenario you just described there, Nasty, where they're controlling all the finances. So if you did leave, how would you financially survive? Because you wouldn't have access to any funds.
2: Yeah, and you know that you might have um, had a child or been persuaded to give up your job or with the promise of things being great and that you you know that that's the way that you're going to uh, approach running your family um, but then of course if they are a person who's got these abusive patterns by the time you are in that situation the, the damage and the coercive controls that sort have of already done because that's what will keep you there. And a lot of people don't really know and understand um, their own abuse because it's um, intended to unsettle you. It's intended the gaslighting and um, all the other sort of insidious communication patterns sort of just become the language of your relationship. You get used to it. It's what you know. And like I said, they gradually erode your boundaries until. And like I said when you've realized you look back and you think well how didn't I know <laughs> but so many people don't they don't because it just becomes part of your everyday life that level of control
1: I didn't and and I hear from so many of my clients well I didn't think it happened to people like me
2: yeah I'm not a victim um you know because I haven't got a black eye he never hit me he didn't have to that's the perception people um I I remember thinking that as well I left my abuser a long time ago about a decade ago now but when I left so although he you know we, we had had some sort of physical situations there was I didn't have a black eye who was going to believe me I didn't have black eyes can't have been that bad <laughs> you know yeah yeah I mean, that
1: bad <laughs> yeah I hear that a lot I mean this is really resonating with a lot of people here Susan's been it fuels to your general worry of going out on your own hillary says so much resonating my ex never believed i would leave and when i did he kept asking me when i was coming back never uh b says the normalizing of coercive control behavior makes you doubt yourself so when you do ever see a red flag you doubt yourself it's brainwashing now red flags that are there but you know a lot of the time we'll miss them in the relationship i mean you may never have I mean, some people will have seen these patterns before and then that's why they get into those relationships It's what they know and maybe what they believe a relationship should look like with that dynamic maybe if they grew up in a household with abuse but then other people won't have seen it and won't believe that anyone could possibly be that bad so not see the warning signs and think, oh i, can't, I must have got that wrong right i can't maybe they're just having a bad day it, it, you know it can come in lots of different forms right
2: yeah it can do and I wouldn't say that there was an exhaustive like list of, of red flags but there are some common things to look out for um you know so uh, one of the most common ones is a relationship moving quite swiftly they will push the pace they will love bomb you they will overstep your boundaries but with in a way that um they can present as being a bit of a hero so uh might make multiple visits to your work but if they're bringing flowers you know stuff like that so um right in the beginning sort of red flags like that story's not adding up lots of plot holes and the stuff that they're telling you I would say is red flags and always um, one thing I notice is always positioning themselves as a, a hero or having to point out how nice they are like generally nice people don't tell you they are nice they don't come <laughs> up to you and say hi I'm really nice you're gonna <laughs> love me no they don't they just are nice they they don't have to declare it in fact that would be embarrassing for your average nice person um so you know these guys they they don't um, they they will take great pains to tell you how good they are um but their behavior is not matching it i mean
1: there's more comments coming in here yes he controlled all the finances he's now crippling me financially and dragging out the divorce he has his own business and deals in cash so it's difficult to prove i mean that's something that I'm sure
2: you see, I do all the time. Yeah, um, very difficult to confront, um, concealing, um, you know, financial misdeeds like hiding cash and stuff like that. It's, it's very, very difficult for um, a survivor of abuse to navigate um, economic abuse um, because the systems that deal with it. They don't really investigate like the CMS say they have powers, like, you know, they can take a passport, they can um, pursue them, they can do X, Y, Z. If the money is not hitting um, HMRC, they can only do so much. So it can be quite frustrating. So I think in all instances, the best thing you can do is just try and be as self-sufficient and resilient as you possibly can in the face of that kind of difficulty and seek advice, seek advice from um, organisations like uh, Surviving Economic Abuse, who have got a wealth of resources to help.
1: Sometimes you won't expect it. You leave someone and you think, right, I'm out of the toxic relationship now. but. Yeah. That post there about you know, going through the divorce, obviously that toxic behaviour doesn't just disappear, then transfers, doesn't it, onto the divorce process, which is why this is so difficult. And and even, I mean, I remember being told by my lawyers, well, when you're out, then at least you're out of that toxic environment. <laughs> so it hit me, like, a big surprise to find, you know, that isn't the case, is it? Post-separation abuse is just all those different forms of abuse channelled into
2: what comes after you leave yeah basically they'll find if if you're dealing with an abusive type um they will usually find um whatever leverage they can so if you are in the relationship they'll be abusing you at home if you are in the legal process and not in the relationship then they'll be abusing you or attempting to through the legal process they find it very difficult to stop regulate their behavior in fact we notice that um, with domestic abusers, that they don't really regulate the behaviour or learn very well. They don't appear to have um, much insight into the impact of their actions on other people. Um, so, yeah, so whatever process you're in, um, if you are dealing with an abusive type, be prepared that it might get quite complicated. And you would think
1: that you could rely on the legal professionals to help you through that Natalie?
2: In a lot of instances you know um, legal professionals do an amazing job there's some wonderful lawyers out there who really do understand the difficulties uh, domestic abuse presents to families I mean within the family law process we're talking about arrangements for children and with domestic abuse we're also talking about sometimes Some quite significant safeguarding concerns. Lawyers um, in those instances can be very helpful in helping a mum and children find and secure safety. That being said, not enough lawyers truly understand the challenges that are faced by families leaving abuse. So there's a certain gap in knowledge there. So I would make sure if you are looking to hire um, solicitors and you are dealing with an abusive type that um, you do your research well and find one that does understand.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. That There are some great legal professionals who have actually taken the time to understand domestic abuse, or maybe they were survivors themselves along the way, but there are some people that are really championing the cause of, yeah, and so they are the people that I would recommend you seek out, find, and use as your lawyer, because if they understand it, there's a couple of benefits. One, they're gonna be able to understand you and be some support to you there but also they're going to understand how to navigate the divorce process because that gaslighting the distracting the confusing and the lying will just come out with say before me which is the 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 financial documents you put together to work out what money there is you know that the confusing behavior will be there the lies will be there so things won't be completed, or they'll spend send a spreadsheet over 30 pages and it's not formatted, or you know, they'll it'll be late or we'll never send it at all or deny knowledge of things a big gap. So these, yeah, you know, this is how it translates into the, the divorce process. So if you have a, a legal professional who is advising you through that, if they understand this, then they're not going to increase your costs hugely because they're going to get it. And they're going to know how to walk the line with that because going back and saying, we need this, we need that. Yeah, you know, they can play with that, can't they? They can abuse yeah. even that. And then you're, you, know, it, you get into extremely huge costs.
2: Exactly. And, you know, sometimes having um, a cheaper option, sometimes we don't have any choice. You know, like domestic abuse survivors, it's not uncommon that our bank accounts are emptied. We flee with just the clothes on our back with young children. But if they understand the problem, It would be a false economy going for a cheaper one who doesn't because you'll be in court for so much longer. You'll probably spend 10 times what you would have with a lawyer who can just cut through all of that rubbish, Um, you know, all the moving of the goalposts, hiding information, admitting stuff, not admitting stuff. There's a lot of information that comes into these cases, lots and lots of paperwork. You need someone that can really cut through that. And I saw in the chat someone asked about, um, I can't see who asked for it now, but whoever asked for um, if a forensic accountant, was a good idea. Um, I would say that if you are dealing with financial impropriety and people hiding money that a, that a forensic accountant is a good idea.
1: <laughs> yes because what forensic accountants do guys, right, if those of you who don't know is that they will look at um, for example the bank statements which you're supposed to be able to exchange during this process and they'll be able to pull threads so for example if, if there's money missing but then lots of transfers into a certain account they can pull those threads and say well where's this money going and they can start to unravel um, and they're trained to do that. Although, again, there's a cost, sometimes substantial, uh, to that. But if you know there's money that's missing, then that could be um, something that would be useful. Uh, it's, it's interesting that, Nassie, right are is reading um, Tammy says, man, oh, man, I think you should give that poll again. Now that I'm hearing the descriptions of their behaviour, I think I need to change my answer to yes. And someone else is saying, yes, me too. Um, let's see what else it's... Uh... So Angela's one of my coaches and she's saying it's common not to recognise what you've been through. Like Natalie said, you don't have to hit someone to hurt them. It's very, very wise. Uh, yes. Yeah, so and forensic accountants, we went we went to relate and I explained my story. And he said it was abuse to him, totally turning the tables. How do we find someone who understands? Natalie's nodding at this. Right. Go, go, Natalie. Now, go. This
2: one is a big subject, so I'm going to try and uh, condense it. OK. Uh, one of the biggest challenges facing domestic abuse survivors who have children who are in the family court are answer allegations of parental alienation. So usually these um, allegations surface in response to domestic abuse allegations. So uh, we did a survey with Channel 4 um, this year, um, ahead of the, our film coming out, which was the Channel 4 dispatches uh, torn apart family courts uncovered. And they found that 80% of domestic abuse survivors reporting abuse will then be counter alleged to be alienators. So, if you're saying, hang on a minute, I've got some reservations here about the safety of contact, you know, because he's done X, Y, Z to me, you know, quite harmful things, or children may have witnessed it, the children might be frightened um, of someone who has harmed them. What the purpose of um, a parental alienation allegation is, is to turn the tables on the victim. So, it is a deflection and it can quite often refocus the case quite dramatically in fact, and the victim is then positioned as the abuser and the perpetrator is positioned as the victim. So it can be quite spectacular, which is why you'll see me talking about it a lot on Twitter, because I'd say it's the biggest threat to uh, women's rights, actually, this century.
1: People don't realise this is going on. I mean, the dispatches programme was horrific, but it happens and it happens to lots of different people and it is disgusting what goes on. I, you know, I, I'm always shocked at this. these stories that you hear. And the, there seems to be so much conflict of interest within the court system, because in order to get found guilty of parental alienation, you, you kind of already are, if you're a victim of abuse and allege that, well, and say there was abuse, and maybe my child doesn't want to go because they're scared of this person, maybe they have a, you know, reason, then, what happens to the child's voice because there's some pretty strict laws on you know children's act and children should never be forced to go anywhere that's unsafe why is that not happening as the dispatcher's program showed that children are being forced
3: are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce are you feeling devastated heartbroken sad and anxious if so please know that you are not alone and there is help available sarah davison best known as the divorce coach and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup take back your control and start feeling happy again sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions unhook from your ex get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and
1: start to feel happy again. What happens to the child's voice? Because there's some pretty strict laws on, you know, Children's Act and children should never be forced to go anywhere that's unsafe. Why is that not happening as the dispatcher's programme showed that children are being forced?
2: If a child is expressing negative emotions or fear or reluctance or even an outright rejection, like, I really don't want this person around me. But there's very many that would hear a child's disclosure of abuse, for example, and instead of thinking that the most probable reason a child would disclose abuse is because they've experienced it. They think, oh, who put you up to that? And nine times out of 10, they'll be looking at the mother. And that's the essence of a parental alienation allegation. It is the disbelief of a child reporting abuse, fear or reluctance in spending time with the other parent.
1: And also, sometimes children, depending on their age, are not capable of explaining some of the things they've witnessed or seen. And remember, coercive control for us to explain is pretty hard <laughs> because it's small, insidious things that could be done. You know, I've got a client at the moment whose partner calls her fatty bum bum. And, it, you know, she, he means it in a nice way, but it's not nice. And it's damaging her confidence. And it's like, oh, you know, you. Oh, that's what I love about you. You're still going to wear that dress, even though your arms are a bit podgy, but good for you, you know, and things like that. You know, and, and so we find it hard to sort of say, well, this is what this is. So, how can a child possibly be expected to explain that to an adult?
2: Exactly. And that'll explain um, very young children or explain in their behavior. I mean, for, for those of us who have been through with trying to get a reluctant child to, to contact because you've been ordered to do it. Um, By the court will know that um, very young children will tell you usually with you know crying and screaming and sort of having a bit of a a meltdown. You know they're just distressed, so they will tell you in their distressed behaviour. If people feel people in general, if they feel like they're not being listened to, they will try and cement their point, won't they? They will try and say, "No, hang on a minute, I'm saying." this to you now children who are in that situation with professionals who aren't being believed they know they're not being believed even little ones will know they're not being believed and what they will do then is often sort of entrench that behavior and sort of be a little more adamant about it so it can even entrench it rather than than fix it just by ignoring a child's distress um, so you know it's something that needs to be dealt with rather than sort of reframed and explained another way. So uh, a distressed child wouldn't be viewed as a distressed child; it, it's viewed as an alienated child. So you're never going to fix the problem ever if um, you were looking in the wrong direction. You're not looking at why the child is distressed. You 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 are actually looking to find another causal reason for that distress, and that's a different type of scenario to be in for
1: a kid I mean to most of us it doesn't make sense does it I mean it, it just doesn't make sense and I think that's the challenge when you go into these when you go into this system where you have so-called experts you know and I know you said that there were good ones okay I'd like to see them but yeah, I'm sure there are but you know m- most of the people that I've come across through my practice is I mean like someone's writing in here about she'd went to see somebody and the ex, um, the ex had made up a story that she was sleeping with one of the teachers at school to get her son some help. And it was all lies. So she got up and left. And it was written up that she was disruptive, non-cooperative. Now, this is something that I hear all the time. I mean, reports that are just full of lies or, uh, you know, very, you know, illogical conclusions from from behaviors and I think there's a lot of pressure put on mums or in these scenarios to not fall out with experts to be compliant all the time which again is disingenuous and also a breach of their human rights.
2: Hmm. It is it's a, you know it's a breach of um, their article three rights you know the, the right not to be put through inhumane or degrading treatment for a start you know that's just the beginning. Um, the, the big problem with rights, I think, with children here is, is when you're re- reframing a child's disclosure, you are actually um, breaching their, their children's rights. Um, and, you know, it, it can make for a very difficult childhood for them if they're having to navigate all that as well.
1: So, I mean, how can people cope if they're going through it or they're you know, going through that system with a very difficult ex? What, what's your advice, Nastya? I know you help a lot of people going through these situations.
2: My advice is you, you've got to deal with it. You, you can't sort of just hope it's going to be OK. You've got to take active steps to really learn how to advocate for yourself and your children in a system that might be committed to misunderstanding you. Okay, so sort of understanding your communication with the court and learning how to communicate in the way the court understands it. That doesn't mean suddenly become, you know, an amateur lawyer um, overnight, quite the opposite. In fact, most of it's about demonstrating good parenting. So you need to know what you're dealing with and you need to get prepared to navigate something that's going to take a while and it's going to be complex. Make sure you get a good support network around you so that includes stuff for your personal support like friends and family but that also includes covering off things that you might need like legal aid, legal support if you can't afford um, a solicitor and you don't get legal aid what options how are you going to approach this have a good think about it and then start reaching out for some resources because there are resources out there that can help.
1: Someone's asked you how, (laughs) it's a good question, it's a very good question by B, is there anything you can put in place to ensure you don't get accused of parental alienation?
2: No, no, that's beyond your control really, getting accused of something, you can't control what the other person is doing. So the way that you would protect yourself against false allegations of parental alienation is really learning all the self-advocacy that you need um, to be able to demonstrate the stuff that you do on a daily basis to benefit your children Um, because often parental alienation allegation will get wrapped up into this whole unfit mother narrative so um, a lot of care needs to be taken about you know the information that you're giving to the court in those circumstances
1: we can't control what your ex is going to do if he, you know when you're divorcing a difficult person it's about annihilation there's no fair result there's no we're trying to come to some solution for everyone that works it, that's just not it there's much pain as much suffering as much hurt and heartache stress anxiety all of the above financial dis, you know destruction you know annihilation is the word it's not yeah. it, it does get my goat where it's referred to as high conflict because to no. me it just makes me so angry because that Same. high conflict situation implies that both of you are being difficult. But when it's like, you know, 100 percent someone is causing pain, the other person is just reacting to what's been thrown at them. That is not high conflict. That is abuse. Anything you know where it's not a fair split is abuse. So, yeah, the high conflicts, mm. personally, I don't know if you agree with me, this. Nessie, or whether you're going... Oh, better. I do.
2: So much. <laughs> I, I, I'm nearly giving you, a round, I'm giving you a round of applause for that <laughs> little rant there, because that's.
1: Yeah, I feel that exactly the same. But it, it's I true. Mean, it's, a cover up. it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up term to cover up abuse. That's
2: what it, it is. is it is. And, you know, I, I think it's very misguided as well, because... Um, You know, if you're a respondent in one of these cases, then guess what? You don't have a choice to be there. So, this is not a conflict that you get to walk away from. Um, Because, you know, the laws are without you. You have to be there. You can't just ignore a court summons, right? So, you haven't got a choice for a start. They're not looking at who the protagonist is. They're not looking at who's driving ever more interventions, ever more costs, ever more cases, ever more litigation. They just see this sort of um, conflicts that you're both in but they just fail to see that actually one of them does not have a choice to be there at all but the other one does yeah,
1: and, and you you're, you' you're, and then you're in this situation where you have to be in a lot of cases very disingenuous because you want to say, This is outrageous. This is ridiculous. They've done this. They've done that because they're accusing you of maybe someone's written and they're having a personality disorder or you know being the difficult. You're being accused of everything that they are. It's classic. It's called mirroring, and it's one of the tactics. It's one of the red flags. It's one of the clear cut signs that this person has their own personality disorder. It's it's all the reflection on you. So you'll be painted out to be the bad guy. Now, the thing is, when you say that's not me, this is a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie. You say to the expert therapist or, you know, this I don't agree with that, this is wrong, you've misinterpreted that, that's not what you said, that's not what I'm doing, or the signs that you're saying are alienation, do you know, are actually identical to the signs that a child who's been abused may display. Then you get told you're difficult, you're 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 very um hard to work with, you're one of the most difficult clients they've ever had. All these things come out and then they write a report saying, Well, they're not very easy to get on with. I believe that they're very bitter and twisted, they're probably still in love with their ex. You know, you get all this coming back, and so you are then painted as the difficult one.
2: I think it's very easy for the court to um play into all these sort of like societal as like stereotypes we have about this sort of like um, embittered ex-wife who's you know just out to make her ex-husband's life a misery you know um, and it, I, I think that the court really needs to evolve from that and the other problem with um, alienation and, and similar types of narratives like with the personality disorders is a lot of these aren't independently observable and you know one person's protective action may well be what an expert says oh that's an alienating behavior and also bearing in mind that alienation behaviors um I believe um can be unconscious according to those who um promote this theory um so you can even do it telepathically now I don't know about you but I find that extremely worrying in a court of law um that it can be um that a case can be hinged on such um fuzzy and woo woo um basis like that it just does not seem to be but credible. It,
1: but it isn't, it's not credible, it's absolutely ludicrous and it's it's it, it's just it's the scourge at the moment and it's something that is you know I mean there's so many people facing this and yet to the outside world it's not talked about because the family courts you can't discuss it can you because they want to protect the children Again, the irony of this is, you know, we'll listen to them. Take them at face value. You know, I've had cases where the child hasn't even been allowed to speak to those because they're suffering from delusions. But then they've created all these things that are going to happen to this child, having never, ever spoken to them. You know, when, when do children have a voice? And, and it should be, you know, always. But it's not. It's not.
2: It, it should be. You know, it should be. And, you know, children should be listened to and You know, sometimes children will communicate difficult things as part of a divorce. um, And if they are reporting things which are safeguarding concerns, really, it's quite a callous thing to do. If a child was sat in front of you telling you, you know, I have been harmed, the last person that you would want to send them to is the person who's harmed them but that's exactly what's happening in the family court because they're not listening to children properly. So they'll hear children, they'll hear what, a children, what, what the children are saying, but they'll interpret it and they'll translate that to mean something else. So really the child's voice just needs to be centralised um, and better understood.
1: And that can lead to you know all sorts of things, the child being removed from the victim of the abuse and given to the perpetrators to live or them getting more access or even I think there was a case that Louise Tickle reported on very recently where the mother had to pay for some of the contact with the abuser yeah I mean that Charlotte Proudman love her too she got that overturned in the court but fantastic work she's doing it's amazing Dr Charlotte Proudman if you follow her on Twitter she's doing incredible work Um, I mean there are people campaigning like Natalie, like Louise Tickle, like Charlotte, trying to get shine a light on this, but it's still happening. And, and the trauma is for the kids and the victims of abuse as well. The survivors Definitely. coming out the other side, and and the, there's no support for that, is there, Natalie?
2: Very little, very very little that anyone can do. And the other challenge is um, in terms of support, especially. Um, anything sort of in a, a medical arena is notes because um, often part of a parental alienation allegation, um, it will be casting um, doubt over whether you have traits of some kind of vague personality disorder or other disorders. So they will often go for all your medical notes. So that can actually really hinder a family's recovery because they are almost blocked from the off um, from accessing some support which could have probably been very helpful to them
1: I just popped on the chat um, a friend um, can, can a school help can the school help
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you think sometimes <laughs> sometimes they can but sometimes do you know what they can hinder and and I see them hindering uh, families quite a lot and I, I think it's to do with uh, again lack of awareness um, for example, the people that promote uh, parental alienation as a theory will often, uh, and they have been for many years, um, targeting schools um, to sort of further the understanding of this theory, which um, has been, by the way, robustly and scientifically discredited. Okay, so it's you; it, it shouldn't be used. Um, but they they often go in and and, and train. Um, professionals and schools and all sorts of fields so what happens then is if a child is showing some reluctance the teacher might write down I think it's parental alienation not knowing any better not knowing if um, the, you know the friendly guy the the father at the school gates he seems all right but they don't know him they don't know what he's like behind closed doors but they'll quite happily vouch for him um and you know they don't always know that also the the i'm saying the mum here it usually is the mum and the father this is why i'm positioning it like that sorry to the guys on the call um but um so what what often happens is is that mum can't share that paperwork to say yeah actually there's credible allegations of abuse or there's a case in progress or they're waiting for a decision from cps for example um because that that paperwork is is you know it's within the court process you're not allowed to share it so the school can make a snap decision like that and write something down the minute it's written down once anywhere even just as a suggestion by anybody um then usually the other side the abusive party will use that statement and it will be used quite significantly in the case
1: again that leads on to you know how some law firms not all but some will weaponize this mm. as a way to enable their clients to get access to their kids it makes a law firm a lot of money because these cases you know tend to be very drawn out tend to be a lot of paperwork a lot of phone calls there's a lot of stress and anxiety but it, they become the mouthpiece for the abuse in a lot of cases
2: yeah they really do um have like a, a contact at all cost narrative now in an ideal world that you know what single mum right really wouldn't want a break okay i'm a 24/7 single mum and i can tell you it's knackering okay i really do wish i had a same safe co-parent to do this with um you know I, but I, I think i think if if a mother and a child or and or mother and child do have issues with contact it's usually for a good reason because you know us mums once we've divorced and we've got our head around the 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 general grief that you'd find with any divorce and you know you're going it alone life changes quite dramatically um when you walk in that path you know you start to find things that you really like and you you know you're moving on you want to make a life for yourself well that takes time and you you know uh, and, and a safe co-parent really helps that um helps that process so it would be great if um people could do that unfortunately what we find is um abusive partners can't co-parent they they don't co-parent they counter-parent so it becomes really quite a long and drawn-out challenge.
1: So just a few tips Nasty, on how to how to manage the uh, parenting situation with somebody like that.
2: Uh, That's very very difficult Um, I would say keep your boundaries high try not to uh, react Certainly, don't react too quickly, and um, outside of an emergency situation, obviously. Um, I I often um, find that the women I speak to are getting quite stressed with the level of communication that they get from an abuser. So, an abusive type will be quite relentless um, in their communication. So, quite often, I say, well, you know, you could have like a designated email address and only open it on certain days of the week. So if there's anything that does need to be discussed between you, you can do it uh, in writing um, via email, but you're not beholden to that. You know, you look at that on a certain day of the week and then you can just sort of, it doesn't become too intrusive. Then, if it's sort of coming through to your phone and it's right in your face, um, it can feel quite pressurised. So I think try and take some of the pressure out of it as you can and manage it um, as best um, you can with the communication Um definitely get some really good um, legal help um, read as much as you can as well understand what you're dealing with
1: yeah and, and check out Natalie's websites because again they're invaluable I mean this is what Natalie specializes in she helps people all over the world with these things this is you know this is is something that is you know really tough to handle on your own but you're not alone it's not your fault and you're not alone and thank goodness we have people like Natalie doing the work she's doing and there's been so many questions I mean we can't answer them all unfortunately just one here people are saying uh you know my ex is saying everything's his his pension his house his this his that his that there's this this is typical right Natalie?
2: Yeah very typical um often an abusive type will be quite um entitled usually um they've got a strong sense of entitlement um so he may well view everything as his including you so um <laughs>
1: yeah. yes well said so, including uh, and the kids it's, it's, yeah, uh, possessions, yeah possessions
2: yeah, yeah possessions chattel call it what you will um yeah so i think um the the guy uh, i'm trying to read the message here um i think some financial legal advice would be the best thing there um I think he'll find that it's probably not his you might have to share
1: that's it isn't it I mean it's literally you've got to pick your battles but you need to look after you because you know you Definitely. will feel like the only sane person in the asylum the asylum being the family court system and you'll come out and your friends and family will say yeah but just tell them this and we'll quit yeah, but you know you're a great parent and you do yeah and you're like yeah I know I know," but then you, and then you'll go in and be like ah oh, but this and this and this and you like, but that's not true and yeah. you twisted that and it can be really really difficult so do know that there are, if there are people that understand the people that get it and can give you the best advice possible but as natalie said you know you need to get the right legal support for this someone asked if it's difficult to swap lawyers um it can be just because of the expense right
2: mm-hmm. yeah it can be and it's not always advisable if you've had someone on your case for quite a while some and, and if your case is particularly complex for example um it, i'd be very wary of um moving firms um unless they're really not doing the job um for you um what i would say is that you are instructing your solicitors okay Um, so if you're not happy with how they're doing and you think they should be doing more tell them tell them and ask what your options are and if you're really not happy go and seek a second opinion somewhere and um, and if they don't resolve it, then you can go through a formal complaint process um, and then you can change your legal team.
1: Yeah, again, you've got to complain to the law firm that you're unhappy with. So that's a tough one. But yes, I mean, unfortunately, the family court system needs to do a lot of evolving as you started out saying that you've said it in a much calmer way than I do. So thank you for that. And thank you. I mean, you've been phenomenal as always. Do check Nasty out. She's on hashtag the court said um on her social media follow her support her she's doing amazing work she's helping so many vulnerable women right now and children so thank you natalie for everything that you're no doing. Problem. Have you do and luck. have a, have a great team. rest
2: of the retreat guys and thank you for having me i'll see you soon
1: that's it for today do head on over to hashtag the court said on instagram to follow natalie and find out all about her amazing work and i look forward to you joining me
0: that's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.